In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our thoughts may be holy. Act in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our work, too, may be holy. Draw our hearts, O Holy Spirit, that we love but what is holy. Strengthen us, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard us then, O Holy Spirit, that we always may be holy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before these last reflections, as we consider the sign of the cross, this evening under the title of Fire of Love, I'd like to extend my thanks to all of you for your prayers, to the many parishioners of St. Lawrence who have spent hours adoring the Blessed Lord over the last two days, and in a particular way, your pastor, Father Mould, for his kindness and generosity, his great hospitality. You have good reason to uh, lament his leaving. He's been a good father to you for over a decade. And you have good reason to be confident that God keeps his promises and he will give you a shepherd after his own heart. Father Gripsover is a, a good friend of mine and is very much looking forward to being your administrator, to being your pastor, um, and hopefully for a long time to come. Now, I'm not sure what to say about that long-haired creature that uh, has been in this pulpit for the last few days, but I can assure you that I actually am Father Christopher Pollard, despite appearances. Think back two Sundays ago. I asked you already to, to keep in mind the solemnity of the Holy Trinity as we consider the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. One God, one divine nature. And yet we recognize and appropriate to each certain, certain actions, even though none of those actions are exclusive of the other two. in a way which is perhaps obscure at first, but quite meaningful, the new translation that we have in the English language for the ordinary of the Mass, especially for the creed, puts on, onto our lips weighty words about the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so consider the love of God the Father in the begetting of God the Son is so perfect that God the Father gives Himself entirely. All that the Father has is the Son's. The Son is equal to the Father. And the love of the Son for Father is so perfect. The Holy Spirit proceeds from this love between Father and Son, and Son and Father.
And then this communion of the three divine persons existing of necessity before the creation of the universe, before the creation of anything, is endless love. The kind of love that is always new. And so in a In no way can a Christian think of the Holy Trinity and not ponder love. St. John, the beloved apostle, helps us in our understanding of all the divine mysteries by telling us so simply that God is love. Think of what that means. He's not saying that God is really good at love. And he's not saying that God is loving. God is love. God loves. If I were to ask one of you to go out to the parking lot and love for a few minutes and then come in, it would be absurd. Love is not solitary, nor is love merely a disposition. Love is an activity. Love is the activity which is the union of persons. And we can begin to get in over our heads but before that happens we we acknowledge that that for God to be not just almighty but for God also to be love God cannot be an isolated, solitary, divine person. An isolated, divine person, which is the conjuring of many different religions, could either be an almighty God who is power and will, creating the world freely, but not out of love, to rule the world, to govern the world, to judge the world. Or God could be love. You could imagine an isolated divine person who is love, but is not almighty, because if, if that divine person is love, that divine person always has to be loving, not just as an adjective, but but be busy about the activity of love, which means there must be someone else to love, and that isolated divine being would then have to create others to love. 
in the Hallmark card version of Christianity, this is how a lot of Christians consider themselves. God needed to love someone, so he made me, which is so lovely and putrid all at the same time. Or God, God was alone and had to create the universe in order to have someone to love, which is not even lovely. It's really quite pathetic. And so as Christians, we have a profound understanding of the divine mystery because of this truth of love. God is almighty. God created everything out of nothing. The universe bears the order and the beauty and the truth and the logic of the reason of God. And we know in our creaturely intuition, God didn't, God doesn't need me. God is love and almighty because God is already love before anything and anyone was created. And then the creation of the world is just simply gratuitous love for us. He chose to make you. He didn't have to. It is true. He doesn't need you. He willed you into existence. He wasn't forced to. And so your very existing is a proclamation of God's love, the love of the Trinity, the the divine union of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Almighty God who is already love, chose to create you out of nothing. with the intention that you would bear the image, not just because you're intelligent and have the capacity to love and have a memory, but that you would be the dwelling place of the triune God. You would become one with Him. When we consider the cross, as we already have, as an act of proclaiming our share in God's authority, when we consider the cross not only as that way in which we are inserted into this divine mystery through baptism, and we identify ourselves with Christ crucified and risen. When we consider the cross and Jesus dying on the cross, yesterday considered as the victory, the cross being the emblem of having conquered the wicked foe. We consider today, for a moment, the price that was paid. Somewhat similar to how in September, when we celebrate the triumph of the Holy Cross, the day after, we always celebrate Our Lady of Sorrows.
our Lord on the cross. In this church, you have the unique feature of having an image of the Holy Spirit above our crucified Lord. Perhaps you've wondered how appropriate that is, how fitting, interesting, curious. What I propose to you is that you spend some time reflecting on how it is that our Lord was able to be on the cross. For so long. And before we impose ourselves into that meditation, consider first and foremost that Jesus loves God the Father. Jesus really loves God the Father. The divine will is perfect. As much as our Lord speaks to those whose sins he begs the Father to forgive, he's speaking primarily to the Father. He says, today you will be with me in paradise, but in between the lines, you will be with me and the Father and the Spirit in paradise. In a way which uniquely stands out, he addresses his dear mother and the beloved apostle. But even there, the mystery of the Father is present. We don't venture into too speculative territory to be confident that St. Joseph has already passed away. And that in the same way that Mary was entrusted to John by our Lord, Joseph entrusted Mary to Jesus when he was dying. His earthly foster father had already ventured into this sad territory. Sad because of how much they loved the Blessed Virgin Mary. How much they knew she was the embodiment of everything perfect in creation. And she would not be abandoned. And then our Lord simply speaks to God the Father. The first words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? worthy of their own long meditation, which you should read and read within the context of Jesus praying to the Father that he loves perfectly. And then he thirsts because the last act of the 
Passover meal has to be completed. He's the lamb being sacrificed. The herbs, the bread, the wine, the halal, the great hymn of praise have all been completed the night before, but the Passover is not finished. And he promised the apostles, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new in the kingdom. The cup, which he asked to have pass in the Garden of Gethsemane, is the cup that he would take to finish the Passover, to complete the enacting of the new covenant. This new work of God the Father for the salvation of men. Followed by the simple words, it is finished. Not that my suffering is almost over, but it's complete. The Passover is complete. The covenant is complete. It is all accomplished. And then as we chanted several times, into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. The love of Jesus for the Father is played out for many hours on the cross. Unless we forget what we already considered when we remember the solemnity of the Holy Trinity, what is the love between the Father and the Son but the Holy Spirit? There is, no, there is no conversation on the cross save for Christ loving God the Father and desiring that we all be with Him. And as hidden as He is for so many centuries and millennia of salvation history is the work of the Holy Spirit. And why is it that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bring about this new covenant? Because inexplicably, they love us. They want us to be with them. The cross is the proclamation of divine love. The love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the love of God for us. That then is the cross that we can love. We can love the cross. Not just be grateful for the cross. Not just honor and worship the cross. We can love the cross. That fire of love that St. John of the Cross had for our Lord, that then is, that's a whole nother other three days. But there is no cross without love. And there is no understanding the cross without loving the cross. And we know then what, what awaits us. If we choose to love, we will suffer. 
If we choose to love perfectly, we will suffer greatly. My brother warned me, young Stephen, he having been ordained eight years ahead of me, leaving there really no surprises for my five years in the seminary and thus far in my 17 years of priesthood. He took it upon himself to fulfill that canon in the code that specifies that those candidates for holy orders must be told about every challenge and every uh, every struggle that they will face. And he simply put it like this. To be a priest is to be on the cross. And you wouldn't want to have it any other way. And so I encourage you when you meet a newly ordained priest, please, please do not congratulate him. It's something akin to congratulating Jesus that he's starting to carry the cross. Thank him. I promise to pray for him. That means much, much more than a pat on the back and congratulations. But don't feel too sorry for him. Because were it not for the will of God, he wouldn't be a priest in the first place. And if it weren't for the love and the grace of God, he wouldn't be able to persevere in the priesthood. God will take care of him. But in that sense, the priest at the altar has a unique role, as I mentioned on Sunday. It is the priest who takes bread and wine and says the words, and then it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord in his hands. But just as it was at at the original Passover, this sacrificial meal, unique to all other sacrifices of the Old Testament, is to be consumed not just by the flames of fire and by the priest, but by all of God's people. You are coming up to consume part of the sacrifices entirely unique in all of salvation history, save for the night of Passover, when that sacrifice offered up to God wasn't a meal, it was a priestly sacrifice which everybody consumes. The leftovers were burned. The leftovers were burned as an offering, not um, not saved for food for the human body. We then all are worshiping God the Father through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ warns us in words that couldn't have been fully understood then, but now we appreciate what they mean. If you follow me, you must take up your cross. There will be no no way to follow Christ without renouncing the world, and the world will hate you. 
He's not saying, if you choose to follow me, you need to make your lives miserable and make other people miserable. That's not what he's saying. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who will hate you? The wicked one will hate you, and the world will hate you. Be short of that. If everyone speaks well of you, you got to be doing something wrong. When you're hated, make sure you're hated because you're truly following Christ. Not just by stating the truth, but by being like Jesus. And then we will love the cross. We will love the cross not just as Christ suffered it so that we did not have to, would not have to die for our sins, but we love being with Him on the way of the cross. And there is no other place where we will find peace. And so we adore the cross and we worship the cross. It is the way we state our authority and it is the reason why we hope. And it is the cause of our love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.